This is the Youpreneur FM podcast, where each week we bring you the strategies and resources you need to build, market, and monetize a profitable, future-proof business around your knowledge and expertise. And now, here's your host, international business mentor and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Ah, yes. Hello and welcome to episode... Are you ready? Are you ready for it? This is episode number 365 of Youpreneur FM, and it is a brand new year. Welcome to 2020. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas and New Year break, and you're now revved up and ready to rock and roll this year. Make 2020 the absolute best year ever for you, your business, and the people that you serve. And we are kicking off this year, this month, actually, the whole month of January. We're going to be running a little series of fantasticness for you. A little surprise series for you. In fact, this month we are going to be publishing in full all four keynote sessions from last year's Youpreneur Summit conference. Now, for those of you who are new to the show and don't know what Youpreneur Summit actually is, it's our annual conference that we hold at the Queen Elizabeth Centre in Westminster, right across the street from uh, Westminster Abbey and just around the corner from Big Ben. So there you go. You get some proximity location info there. But it's our opportunity every year. We run it every November uh, to uh, welcome guests and attendees from 30-plus countries around the world. There's usually around 350 people in attendance. And it's our opportunity to be able to learn and have fun with each other and mastermind and do lots and lots of great stuff with each other over the course of the weekend and ultimately plan for the next year ahead and obviously ahead of that as well. Because of the timing of the of the actual event itself every November, it's the perfect springboard, as it's become known as, uh, into the new year in terms of business growth and plans and refocusing and getting that clarity that we're all chasing down at the end of the day to be able to obviously build those future-proof businesses and serve our customers in the best possible way. So like I said, the whole month of January, all four keynote sessions are going to be coming your way. And we kick off this week, this episode, with our opening keynote session from day one of the 2019 Upana Summit. Mr. Todd Herman is in the house talking all about the alter ego effect. Upreneur FM, helping you build the business of you. Upstanding and welcome to the Upano Summit stage, Mr. Todd Herman. Thank you, man. So are you. All right. Uh, just a little tip: if you walk into a government-secured building with a black suitcase, you're going to get stopped. You are. Uh, It's awesome to be here. I'm excited to be back in London. I lived here back in the mid-2000s for about a year and a half. And uh, as a Canuck, it's good to go back to the motherland. Commonwealthers here. So I'm excited for Youpreneur Summit. Chris and I have become better and better friends. Um, Didn't know I was that good of a friend with that introduction um, right before I came up. That is uh, easily goes into the Hall of Fame as the weirdest entry point. (laughs) to the stage. So there's a first. But uh, I'm excited. And it's no accident, by the way, I don't think, that we're in the Churchill room. 
So I want to talk to you guys today about the alter ego effect and how this whole discovery came about in the work that I do and how it became the number one tool that I became well known for using with pro athletes, Olympic athletes, executives, public figures, leaders. Um, I've built out the uh, sports performance, peak performance training for the Danish Olympic team, the South African Springboks. Sorry, guys. <laughs> really apologize for that one. Um, and many, many other teams and, and people. And back in, go back, going back to 2004, I was invited to go speak at a leadership conference in San Antonio, Texas. There's a lot of big names that were there. I was definitely the littlest name. Uh, and while I was up there, I was talking about how to lead the new crop, uh, new generation millennials into the workforce and how to lead them because I had just gotten done working with that group for six years because when I started my business working with young athletes because that's all I was qualified to do was 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds on the mental game up to about 17-year-olds, um, that was the generation that was now coming into the workforce. And I, and I saw just sort of what some of the special needs that they had coming in and um, I, was, I was sharing that on stage with people, leaders and, and corporations. And while I was up there, I was talking about how when I started my business, I was terribly insecure, lacked confidence. I didn't have seven letters behind my name in order to qualify myself as a mental game coach or specialist. Uh, I didn't have three best-selling books on the Barnes & Noble shelves or Amazon shelves, which wasn't around at the time. Or actually, it was, but it wasn't as popular. And, uh, but I was, you know, and it was stopping me from getting out there. I lacked the confidence. It, my own head game, my own head trash was getting in my own way because I was 21 or 22, but I looked like I was 12. So I was like, oh, who's going to believe me when I'm on stage talking about this, this process of how you can get young athletes into the zone in the flow state so that all of their capabilities can finally come out on that field of play or that sheet of ice or that court, whatever it might be for them. And so I remembered back to, um, in that moment, I remember back to when I was playing uh, football. I was a college football player. I was a nationally ranked badminton player as well. Football, badminton, always go hand in hand together, right? And, uh, but I never went on the court as Todd. I had this alter ego that I would use to go out and perform with. And it allowed me to play way bigger than what my physical stature was. I'm not physically gifted. I'm not six foot four and 240 pounds, but I played way bigger than my scrawny self that I was when I was in high school and then into college. And I remember, geez, sort of one source of inspiration got me to remember all this, which I'll share later. And uh, I immediately went to Lens Crafters in West Edmonton Mall, which was the largest mall in the world at the time. Edmonton, Alberta was where I was living. And I went to Lens Crafters and I bought a pair of fake glasses, non-prescription glasses, and uh, that was back in the 90s when everyone was getting LASIK eye surgery. No one was wearing glasses as a cool factor thing. And so even the optometrist was like, uh, you've got perfect vision. Like, you don't need glasses. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Can I just get the glasses, please? She's like, okay, you're just a weirdo. So I grabbed the glasses, went home. And when I would make those calls in order to book those workshops with those small sports teams or associations, Super Richard would book those. Not Todd, not the insecure, lacking confident version of myself, but Super Richard did. And I put on those glasses to step into Super Richard, who was inspired by three of my heroes. Joseph Campbell wrote The Hero's Journey, um, which has been a big part of my entire uh, coaching process that I've used with people. 
which then allowed me to actually work with the Joseph Campbell Foundation as well. Um, and then Benjamin Franklin. I've probably read his biography more than anyone else on the planet. And that's not a challenge, by the way. So don't need to challenge me on that. Um, and then the third one was Superman. You know, this is the, the old school version of Superman. Those are my inspirations for when I'd step into making those phone calls. And it helped. Because six months later, I just got done booking two major workshops for myself. And I noticed once I hung up the phone, because it actually was a phone, it wasn't like a, it was a phone, um, that my glasses were sitting on my desk. I'd, fi- I'd finally found the confidence to step into the person that I needed to be in order to lead my business forward. So I shared that on stage. And uh, right afterwards, I got off, and this lady came up to me, and she said, I loved what you had to say about leading millennials. That was really inspiring. But more importantly, I loved what you'd shared about the fake glasses, because Martin didn't need glasses either. And I looked down at her badge, like all of you are wearing, and it said Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King's wife. So people don't know this about Martin, but he actually wore fake glasses as well. He wore them to write all of his speeches because he felt like he was leading such an important movement. He didn't want his own insecurities to get in the way of what he needed to say to lead this group of people forward in non-violent action because that was his mission that he was on. And so she shared with me about kind of the backstory of it and uh, she said when he put them on, he would step into what he called his distinguished self. And so I sh- I, that was a private conversation that Credit and I had, and I cherished it, and it really fueled me even more, and actually it, it propelled me to really double down on the alter ego and using it with people, because I thought it was just a sports thing at the time. And then I started diving into more and more research and finding just how many breadcrumbs throughout history people have been laying, leading towards this thing as a major tool that they've used to help them overcome the six inches between our ears, the battleground between our ears, right? That every single one of you is going to have throughout the weekend and after you leave this weekend and then next month and the year after. This is the ultimate battleground to win, this stuff up here. Because when you master this stuff, everything else outside becomes a hell of a lot easier because you've mastered the self. It's the most difficult thing we'll ever do in our entire lives. It's the most challenging thing we'll ever do in our entire lives, but it's the most worthwhile endeavor we could ever pursue. And so now, I never shared that story, but now in the Atlanta Hartsfield Airport, there is a monument section to Martin Luther King where his glasses sit there, and on that plaque, it says he thought his glasses made him look distinguished, and they're non-prescription. Just to add a little bit of proof for you guys in case you were just wondering maybe if that conversation actually happened or not, okay? Um, and so, ironically enough, though, he's not the only one. There's many other people that have used this sort of set of tools that I outline in the book on how to actually find this source of inspiration so that you can step into and find that best version of yourself on the various fields of play that you play on or the various roles that you have in your life. Winston Churchill would used to stand in front of a wall of hats and he would ask himself, which self should I be today? And he chose the famous top hat when he got the call from the king of England to become the new prime minister to lead them through World War II. Which self should I be today? Each hat represented different traits that he wanted to imbue or enclose himself with to go and do the hard task of what he needed to do. So something to keep in mind, you can take a photo of this, and again, hashtag away, like Chris has asked, but 
never forget, people don't act on their thoughts. They act on their feelings towards their thoughts, and most people are conditioned to seek safety. If there is a fundamental underlying puppet string that holds most people back, it is that they will seek safety over anything else. That's why the battleground between the ears is so important, because the more that we can change and shift paradigms that people are living through or acting through, we can change what they relate to safety, what is safe for them. Alter egos for me was the easiest way that I could change someone, because once you change someone's identity, you change all the other stuff that comes layered with it. You hear about the importance of routines, right? Habits. We've got one of the great experts on the planet talking to you this weekend, Hal Elrod, about routines. We hear about habits. We hear about routines. But I'm telling you, the people at the very top will always focus on mindset and shifting their paradigms and rituals. So, why is all that? Well, what I want to share with you guys today is all about how we actually create our identities, the science behind why this is such a powerful strategy, why and how people get trapped when trying to actually excel, and the process that you can use so that you can experience truly what you're capable of, which is one of my core missions. I like getting people to experience, not think about, two different things. I don't want you sitting here thinking about what you can do. I want you to experience Hallmark of a top performer is grabbing the idea and applying it right away. Get the data. See how it sits. See how it lands. Push through anything that's uncomfortable. You've got to experience what you're capable of. Because the more and more that you experience what you're capable of, what happens? That little dome of comfort zone continues to expand out. When it continues to expand out, what you think you can do goes along with it. So, a really useful way to think through this is that we as human beings, we sort of oscillate between the ordinary world and the extraordinary world. I talk about really extensively in the book. It's a through line of this idea. And, and what happens is, if you think about it, every single important interaction that you have this weekend is what I call a moment of impact. You're, you're relating with someone new. There's a moment of impact that's happening. And in that moment, people, people can diverge based on their actions into the ordinary world. You don't maybe, when you, when you get into a group, you don't engage as much. You let other people talk. Uh, you don't share what you actually are caring about or what you're focused on right now or what you do. You kind of say it in a meek way, almost apologizing for what it is that you do and you care about, right? So that there was something that pulled you into the ordinary world. And the most common things that pull us into the ordinary world is the concern and worry about what other people think of us, the judgments of others, the worries of how we're being perceived by other people. Then there's, that's common forces. Then there's like actual hidden forces. These are, again, I've got 17,000 hours working with people one-on-one. That's not counting the group workshops that I've done or the online stuff that I've done with other people, one-on-one, toes-to-toes, nose-to-nose, people paying me to help them perform. That's a really important distinction for all of you to make when you're thinking about who you should be working with to make change happen. Does this person live in the grout and the gutters of life? 
Because only on the field do you get dirt underneath your fingernails. That's where the muscle lives. Is someone who is confronted with the, with the reality of, I need to help you perform. And if you come back to me next week, and we're, next week and we're on a Zoom call, and what I just gave you didn't work for you, you're going to say, hey, it didn't work. Now I'm being confronted with the fact that my strategy didn't help you. So we need to, well, well why is that? Is it because of the way that you implemented it? Or is it something else? So when you find someone who's got a lot of hours of muscle work, working with people one-on-one, they have a lot of nuance. And I think one of the great frustrations that a lot of people have that are practitioners is they see influencers that are out there who've got massive followings leading people off of a cliff. So my response to that is, so what? What are you going to do about it? You either learn to play that game and bring it into your world so that you can have just as massive of a following so that you can lead people. Brene Brown is a really good example of that. Massive following. She's done great work on vulnerability. And now she gets to lead that charge and make sure that she gets to shape the narrative around it. So there are hidden forces that I've discovered as well. Trauma. Stuff that's happened in your past. Stories and narratives that you've got that hold you back. Imposter syndrome. There's a couple of people in here that know a lot about imposter syndrome. Big one. Everyone deals with it. And tribal narratives. Oh, I can't do that because I'm from the middle of nowhere. Oh, I can't do that because I'm a Brit. I can't do that because I'm Jewish. I can't do that because I'm black. I can't do that because I'm white. We don't even realize how much us placing ourselves inside of a group ends up shaping our behavior. Tribal narratives, one of the more sinister puppet strings that holds people back. So there's many reasons why people diverge into the ordinary world. And then you've got the extraordinary world. In that moment of impact, you decide how you're going to show up. That is a key takeaway. When you start deciding how you want to be showing up on that field of play with whatever traits that you've got, qualities and abilities you want to bring forward into that area, with no concern whatsoever about what other people are going to think of you, that changes things. Because at the end of the day, when we come back and we're putting our head on the pillow at night, everyone does this. It's the pillow effect. We replay our day and we go, man, why didn't I stick up for my friend when someone else had slighted her in that conversation? And you're pissed off at yourself that you didn't say something. Or why didn't I speak up in that meeting when I had a better idea than so-and-so? Or why didn't I go up to that person at that event and actually shake their hand and say hi to them? I would encourage you to all come up to me. I'm a pretty friendly guy. I'm a friendly guy. I'm not pretty friendly. I'm a friendly guy. I'm a friendly guy. I'm nice. Um, so come up. Say hi. So we beat ourselves up. And then the other side of it is like, despite the fact that I didn't get the result that I wanted, I showed up how I wanted to show up. Because you can learn from that. It's really hard to learn lessons from habitual showing up in a way that you don't like. Because all it does is continuously reinforces a narrative of what you think that you are. Over here, when you decide how you want to show up, it's really powerful. So all nice stuff, right? Some of you have heard this stuff for a long time. How do we actually make that happen? So here's the science of what I discovered through this process of using alter egos of people. For the longest time, the psychology world had trotted out the idea that single self theory was a core foundational principle of people who had strong mental health. People that had lower rates of depression, people that had lower rates of anxiety and stress disorders, saw themselves as having one identity that they used in the many fields of play and roles in their life. 
Now me, as a practitioner on the field of play, that didn't make any sense. Because I would have an athlete who would leave the field, and they were very different off the field than they were on the field, and they should be. So that didn't make sense to me. And in about 2008, a big shift, a cataclysmic set of shifts happened in the world of psychology. Three major foundations of how they viewed the world have, been crumble, have crumbled to the ground. This was one of them. They now, the fastest growing field of uh, psychological study is multiple self theory. And multiple self theory is that human beings who see themselves as having many sides of themselves, many roles that they play, and they're very deliberate about how they want to show up in those worlds, have the lowest rates of depression, have the lowest rates of anxiety and stress disorder, and they lead a more fulfilled life, whatever that might be for them, which made sense to me. So the key discovery that people don't have one self, but they have many, many selves that they show up with in the world on many fields of play. Does that make sense, guys? just want to check in. Does that make sense? You've got many sides of you. The side that's here today is going to be different than who you are when you go home, which then challenges the idea that's been trotted out for a long time as your authentic self. So I think your psychology is important. Your philosophy ends up becoming the gravitational pull of your world, draws things into it that can either be good or bad. I'll let other people choose authentic self as the gravitational pull in their world, I don't care about it. Because I have never had anyone that I've worked with that's successful, that's done really well in life, ever, ever, ever say to me that the whole reason that they're successful was because they were authentic. Never. Because think about it. You're always pushing through comfort zones. You're always having to move through stuff. So if authentic self was a big thing, then does that mean that six months ago, the version of you that showed up out there was you being not authentic because now all of a sudden you're a different version, right? Just think about this stuff logically. A lot of the stuff and the paradigms that people live through in life just don't match up. I get the word. The word has value, authentic, authenticity, great value in the word. But like anything in life and in human beings, they become tropes and memes. And now authenticity has become this sort of meme of an excusing away of being an ass to other people. Oh, well, I was just being authentic. No, you were just being an ass, actually. You just lacked the skill set or the focus on maybe developing yourself a little bit. Well, that was just me being authentic. Like, I had to tell them that their dress looked shitty because she needs to know that. Uh, I don't think she actually does. You know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but check yourself. So I share this in the book. Uh, it's probably my favorite alter ego that I've ever come across. I was uh, at another uh, event that I was speaking at in Atlanta, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, and uh, I was in the green room kind of pacing back and forth, getting ready to do my talk, and uh, in through the door comes this physical specimen of a human being, greatest, one of the greatest athletes to ever live, the only athlete to be an all-star in two major North American sports, National Football League and Major League Baseball. Like, that is, it's an insane achievement. So he walks in and I'm like, oh my God, Bo Jackson. I'm like, that guy won me a lot of games on Tecmo Bowl as a kid on Nintendo. Because if you didn't know, he was the cheat code. You could hand the ball off to him when he played for the Raiders and he would just run into the end zone. No one could tackle him. So my brothers didn't know that he was the cheat code. So I, he won me a lot of games against my brother. So he walks up to me and he says, uh, hi, I'm Bo Jackson. I said, yeah, I know who you are. I'd be a terrible um, uh, person in sport if I didn't know who Bo Jackson was. And he sort of laughed. And then uh, he's like, oh, are you speaking today? And I said, yeah, I'm going to be going out on stage next unless they just bump me for you. 
And he's like, no, 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 you're fine. So he comes up, or uh, he says, what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, I'm going to talk to the kids about um, the power of an alter ego and how when you, and the mental game, and how when you choose to decide how you want to show up and you're inspired to show up through the lens or the character traits of someone or something else, it actually allows you to bring all your capabilities that you can be great with on the field, of, like on the practice field, but have a tough time unlocking on the field. And, um, and so he sort of looked at me, kind of cocked his head to the side, and he said, uh, Bo Jackson never played a down of football his entire life. And I was like, all right, interesting. Tell me more. And he said, yeah, like when I was, anyone knows my story knows that when I was a youngster, I was a really angry kid. And I would struggle with that anger on the field. I was uncoachable. I was highly emotional. I would take bad penalties. And so I was watching a movie one night and I saw this character come on the screen who was cold, calculating, methodical, and unemotional. And I thought to myself, wow, why don't I take that onto the screen? Or why don't I take that out onto the football field? And he said, uh, it was Jason from Friday the 13th. So there you go. This was, he's cockeyed right now, but uh, this was his source of inspiration for how he wanted to show up, was Jason. Now people are like, okay, so here's an angry kid who is now going to choose a serial killer <laughs> to go on the field. How does that make sense? This is the beautiful thing about stories. Human beings, we live through story. We live through narrative. And even me, every single one of you from this talk is going to take something else away that might resonate or might not resonate. But there's... We all have this individual connection. Have any of you walked out of a movie and you're like, man, that was such an awesome movie. I love the way that so-and-so played that character and, someone, and your friend goes, it was a terrible movie. That movie sucked. But there was something that you connected with. Well, for Jason, or for Jason, for Bo, it was the unemotional side of Jason. Not the killing part, the unemotional. He was already a killer on the football field. But he knew that if he could show up with more in an unemotional way, just methodical, keep on just moving forward, not caring whatsoever about what was normally going to happen on the inside, he could actually untop, untap his performance. And it did. Bo Jackson um, said that when I went on the football field, my only mission was to destroy anything in my path with no emotion. People talk about mission statements. That's a powerful mission statement. It encapsulates perfectly exactly what he needed to do to be successful, destroy anything in his path. As a running back, that's what he used to do, destroy anything in his path with no emotion. Because before, it was destroying anything in the path with anger, with rage. <laughs> so if someone talked back to him or trash-talked him, then he's going to react. No emotion whatsoever. Cold calculating. And it helped him truly rise to the top of his entire profession. So I love that one. And it leads to one of the great lines in this movie, Rocket Man, which if you haven't seen it before, is amazing. You gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. Great line. Love that line. Except I'd change it. As a practitioner, I would change it to this. Well, actually. Let's go to this slide. Got mixed up. Sometimes you gotta kill the person you were shaped into being to become the person you, you want to be. And then it's, what you is it? You is a funny word. Because which you am I talking about? Is it the you as an entrepreneur? 
And then even in that world, you've got many roles. Salesperson, leader of your team, promoter of your entire business, practitioner, coach, author, writer, blogger. There's many different roles that you play. So sometimes you've got to kill the person you were shaped into thinking that you were as a writer to become the writer that you need to be. Does that make sense? I hope this stuff starts to land with you because you is a very trapping word. Even think about it in your interactions here. When someone says, if, if someone came up to me and said, oh, how are you? Because of the context of this event, you're going to think through as a business. Oh, it's okay. You know, leads are okay. You know, I like them coming in more. But if you were sitting down with your best friend and they say, oh, how are you? You're going to go to maybe your significant other relationship that you have. So that's the you that you're pulling that through. We have many yous inside of us. Again, language is so important. It drives our results. So going back, if you've ever seen the documentary about Mr. Rogers called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Over here, he might not be as well known, but Mr. Rogers was on PBS in America, led a major reform in childhood education over there. He's a superhero. He 100% is. And this is a great clip from that show. There we go. I've always felt that you were someone who could understand the deep feelings or thoughts of people. Well, it took me so long to get tame. I try to understand how everybody else is working at it. Sometimes it isn't easy. No, but it's worth a try. Daniel was pretty much Fred. He did all the voices, but, uh, but I think Daniel was the real Fred. It's a lot easier, even as an adult, for me to have Daniel say, I'm really scared. Do you think maybe you could give me a hug? You know, that would be hard for me to say, I'm really scared. Do you think you could give me a hug? So the difference from, the, from here to here, that doesn't seem very far, but it was efficacious, to say the least. That's like a mic drop right there. The distance between here and here isn't very far, but I can tell you it's very efficacious. The distance between our sixes of our ears, when we know what we know, you've got the, I'm telling you, most of you have all the knowledge that you need in order to take the actions you need right now. But the difference between here and here, saying the things that you want to say to get videos out or to write stuff, or the difference between here and out here to do the things you need to do doesn't look like it's very far, but I can tell you, as a guy who's been in between the ears working with people, it is a battleground. So it doesn't look very far, but I can tell you the use of playing with identity is so powerful. And alter egos are a proven method to help people become more of what they want. Every single person in this room, great thing about this idea, you've all used it. If I was standing in Africa doing an event, everyone there has. In Asia, everyone there has as well. Why? Because it's baked into the human psyche. Every single person here has done this when you were a child. Between the ages of one and seven, you were caught in the theta brainwave state, which is the most creative state that we can as a human being. And that is actually us caught in the creative imagination. 
It is our greatest development stage of our entire lives. And what do little kids do? Oh, I wonder how far I can jump when I'm wearing my Superman cape or my Wonder Woman cape or my Black Panther mask. Or I wonder how hard I can hit this hammer down where I'm, while I'm wearing the, the Incredible Hulk mask. We all do that as kids and then we get older and we're like, oh, that's us being childish. No, it's not. That's our creative imagination giving us tools to help us become better. Become better. So, yeah. Woo. So, number one, after all that, one of the, step, the first step in this whole process is you've got to identify the role or the field of play that you would like to develop and shape your identity with. It's not, you don't use an alter ego across your entire life. Because how's that working for you in the way that you're currently operating? You've got one identity. Again, multiple self versus single self. We have many selves. We have many sides of ourselves that show up out there. So what's the role or the field of play that you might be the most challenged with? You might start there. You know, what are you struggling with? In what area? Is it inside the business? And if it's inside the business, don't just say entrepreneur. Name the category of your business that you might be struggling with the most. And I know a lot of people who are in the youpreneur world that struggle with self-promotion. Self-promotion. Go back to the very beginning of this talk. Super Richard was the identity that I built to help brag about Todd. Super Richard was going out there to sell Todd. It just seemed hard to me with my current psychology for Todd to go out and sell Todd. But Super Richard loved selling Todd. So that's what he went on and did. Sounds crazy to you. But I know you've all played with this idea in some way. So what role or area of your life? Do you have the right you showing up right now to lead your business? Just wondering if you do. Do you have the right you showing up to lead your business? All right, so we start with the role or the field of play. And it might not be, have anything to do with business for you guys. It might be a completely different world for you. I did a talk at Fort Bragg in the United States. Fort Bragg is the largest military base on the planet. So when I hold this up, what does this mean? You don't have to answer, but what does this mean? Well, so I did a talk to a bunch of Green Berets and uh, Navy SEALs about this concept. Afterwards, Colonel came up to me, pulled me outside of the uh, auditorium, and wanted to have a chat. And he was basically tearing up a little bit. And uh, he said... Now I understand why, when I go home, I have two young boys and a wife that don't come to the door to greet me. He had one identity, and that was Colonel. And he took it home with him, and that's how he parented his kids, and that's how he talked to his wife, was through that identity. And it's very easy. We can excuse that very easily, gang, by thinking of it this way. You've just spent 10 hours flexing the muscle of being a colonel and what, it's gonna, what he's going to need to do in order to be successful in helping lead young people forward, right? And so he physically took off the uniform, but he didn't mentally take off the uniform. He stayed in that identity. So three months later, he sent me this amazing email saying, for the first time in a year and a half, my wife is sleeping in the same bed as me, and my two boys run to the door and give me hugs. Because he changed how he showed up at home. Ironically enough, his inspiration for how he wanted to show up was Mr. Rogers. That was his inspiration for who he wanted to be as a dad. So, more science. Research, anyone know who Martin Seligman is? Marty Seligman, 
one of the great researchers on the planet. He basically started the um, positive psychology movement back in the 90s and 80s, 80s and 90s. Him and Christopher Peterson did this global study of 70,000 plus people to try to find out what are people doing to be successful. And their discovery was that people that identified their characteristics, their core characteristics, and intentionally focused on activating those superpowers were more resilient and fulfilled. We've heard about grit and resilience, two important qualities, but fulfillment, another important thing. It's one thing to be, have grit and resilience, but you also want to be fulfilled in what you're doing. They were the most fulfilled. And so a part of this process is, again, you deciding how you want to be showing up with what characteristics. Like I said, that brings you into the extraordinary world. The science shows that that happens. Okay, so here's another example. Anyone know who Dane Cook is? Dane Cook is a famous comedian. Um, uh, I grew up with him in the, in the kind of the mid-2000s, late 90s and early 2000s. But this is an interview that he's doing with a friend talking about how he became Dane. Second biggest mistake in your career. <sighs> Second biggest mistake. Well, I, I, I put this as a mistake that ended up turning out to be something of good fortune, but later is uh, 96. I was still in uh, New York coming back and forth. Yeah. And um, Saturday Night Live, it was the year uh, Sandler left. Yeah. And they wanted me. They had called up my team and said, we need a young, white, energetic guy who plays guitar, which I did too, to replace the, the Sandler, which was going to be a big, big loss for them. And I went to... Uh, I was still dealing with a lot of um, anxiety at that point. Like that's one of the things I think no one really knows about you, but I know about yeah. you is that as gregarious and extroverted as you may seem on stage, sure. you really are like just a very regular person, if not introverted. Yeah, still, still more. I mean, I'm not as much an introvert as at that time, um, but I, I had a lot of fear, man. That's all I can say is like I still had a lot of fear in me. A lot of things were driven in the onstage persona was who I wanted to be. I wanted to be that guy that had the answers and the timing and was cool. And because I didn't feel the moment my foot stepped into reality off the stage, I didn't feel like any of that stuff. Yeah. None of it. It took me many, many years to finally realize, wait, no, I am the guy. I'm the guy on stage. <laughs> That's me. I need to be him everywhere. It took like 15 <laughs> years to go. I've been playing the part of me yeah. more than I'm actually being yeah. in my life. Another mic drop. He was playing me more than he was being me on stage. He went out there and decided, that's who I want to be. I want a guy, the guy who's quick-witted, who's smart, who's got the answers. That's how he most wanted to show up in life. But for whatever reason, hidden forces, common forces, pulled him into this world of, you know, being more shy or introverted. Introverted has these layers of meanings around it. And he ended up discovering, again, more of who he was. That's why like, the world of entertainment and sport has a lot of these examples, but people don't think about taking this stuff into other areas of their life to discover and see just how you can be more of what you are by playing through this. It doesn't have to end when you go and walk through the threshold of your door when you go home. Just like the colonel found out when he started to show up more as Mr. Rogers in his home. When he talked to his kids, he would start to get down on one knee. Eye level, just like Mr. Rogers would do to help communicate with his boys better. So he wasn't lording over them like the big colonel was before. So the second part of this then 
is finding your source code. There's two ways to find it. You choose the superpowers that you want to show up with in that area, that role that you've got. You know, when Super Richard was born, he was confident, articulate, and decisive. I don't know if you believe much in the horoscopes. I'm not a big person of horoscopes. But Libra is apparently, as I am, not the best at making decisions. We're the only inanimate object on the entire zodiac. We're the scales. Apparently, we, we just balance things out. We just don't take action. That was me very much. But Super Richard, he made decisions fast and moved. So those are my superpowers. Then I was inspired by the alter egos that I brought within. Superman, Joseph Campbell, Benjamin Franklin, because I felt like they had the traits that I wanted. Articulate, Joseph Campbell. Decisive, uh, Superman. Confident, Benjamin Franklin. He kept on experimenting, curiosity. So that's one way. Or you could find someone or something that you're inspired by and you ask yourself the question, like if you've watched a movie, if you've read books, if you've got a favorite TV show, if you've got a favorite comic book character, if you've got a favorite animal, because animals are sources of inspiration for people as well. Kobe Bryant and the Black Mamba. He knows more about the Black Mamba snake than anyone else. I talk about in the book how he found his alter ego. It was actually watching the movie Kill Bill. When he saw the Black Mamba come on the screen and he was being troubled by something in the early 2000s that he felt like he was losing his identity. And so the Black Mamba, that's when the Black Mamba was born and that's who Kobe took out on the court. So you, your inspiration can come from many, many different places. The other people, and then you go... Okay, so what is it about that person that I really admire? That's what happened when, for me, Mr. Rogers became my alter ego at home. I'm a challenging personality type because I have to break through the hard exteriors of extraordinarily top-performing people or entrepreneurs just like you who are doing tough stuff. I need to break through that because I have to get to the core of trust with you because trust is the most important currency that I can trade with someone. Because if I don't have trust with you, you're not going to share everything that's going on with you. I need that in order for me to plot a better plan forward for someone. Yes or yes? Like, if you want to find the secret superpower of anyone who's led movements, trust is number one. Trust. You've got to have it. If you don't have it, best of luck. Everyone talks about no like trust as if it's like three equals. It is not even close to being equals. I've seen people who are not well-liked, they're not well-known, but boy, are they trusted. Be the best leaders that are out there. Trust is everything. People go, well, how can you get to like being trusted if you're not known and liked? I've just seen it happen because there can be other people who talk about you in some way. So for me, when I go home, the last thing my three little kids want is like that challenging personality type to walk through the door, right? So I'm inspired to act through the inspiration of Mr. Rogers as well, and my dad. And so I have a little bracelet that I hang on the front door, or on a hook near the front door. And when I walk in the door, I grab it, and I put it on, and I snap it. And that bracelet was made, to me, made for me by Molly and Sophie, my two older girls, six and five. And when I put that on, that bracelet means something to me. It embodies the traits of Mr. Rogers' and my dad. And when I have that on, I can't dishonor their memory and the way that they would show up in those moments of impact with my kids when they're screaming and crying and throwing tantrums, when they need a hug, when they need to be played with, and default into the guy who's just really tired from the day. 
Energy is not a non-renewable resource. It is 100% renewable at all times. This idea, again, that's a gravitational pull that some people live through. Oh, I'm just spent at the end of the day. No, no, no. The you that showed up at work is spent. You can step into a new you when you go home. Depending on how much you care about how really important it is for you to really show up for those most important people in your life. So when I wear that, that's who I show up as. And if I ever, now do I get it right every single time? Of course not. I'm a human being. But if I'm better 20% of the time, that means a lot to little kids. 20% better, that's a lot to little kids. And even when I catch myself not responding the way I want, that bracelet comes off. It becomes a little trigger for me. And even that, it's a reset. Because you can't cognitively pull it off by recognizing the fact that you didn't show up the way that you are. So now you're coaching yourself. A lot of people want to put you into like long-term contracts to work with you as a client. When I'm working with my athletes, it's a 60-day window, period. They don't get to work with me past 60 days. I don't want you forever. I don't want a friend. I've got enough friends. If we happen to go beyond 60 days, it's only because we have found a phenomenal rapport and there's still value that we can build together. But I want to make sure that I set a milestone of, I'm going to give you everything that you need in the next 60 days. I'm known as the quick hit artist in sport. I'm the guy that you call on a Wednesday when you're playing at the US Open or Wimbledon on Saturday and you're struggling. And I'll wear that moniker happily because I know that if I change identity, everything else changes with it. If I change how you relate to yourself, everything else changes. Is this stuff tracking? Great, so your superpowers. So final bit of science here. Kids capes in the power of enclosed cognition. So a lady at the University of Minnesota in the uh, United States heard about this whole alter ego stuff, and she decided she was going to test it with four to six-year-old kids. She brought a bunch of them into a room, and uh, there was a little uh, puzzle box that had a bunch of padlocks on it. And those padlocks had keys that could fit inside of them. And they gave each kid a set of keys to unlock all these padlocks. The problem was is none of the keys worked. And they wanted to test the kids' resilience. So they split them up into three groups. First kids, they went up, started doing it, and they tracked to see how long they were going to stick with it, got the data, put it away. Second group came in. As they did, they whispered in their ear, hey, when you, um, when you do it, pretend you're your favorite superhero. So they do it. Third group is they rolled in a rack of superhero costumes, Dora the Explorer and Batman costumes to be specific. And they said, pick your favorite costume and put it on, and then go do it. So they do it, track the results. What's the data? The ones who were wearing the costumes lasted far longer than any of the other groups. But the other thing that they found was the self-talk and how it changed dramatically. The first group would say things like, oh, I'm not very good at puzzles after trying it a couple times, and they quit. Or this is really, really hard. I can't figure this out, and they quit. The ones who were wearing the costumes would say things like, Batman would never quit, so I'm not going to quit. Or the explorer always finds a way, so I'm going to find a way. So, which self was the most authentic in that moment? All of them were. They were acting through whatever they were associating themselves with. Most of them were just associating themselves with whatever traits and abilities they thought they had at the time, which was, I'm not good at puzzles. Or, oh my God, look at these other people, they're judging me. And they think that I'm not good at puzzles, so I'm just going to quit. It's easier for me to go over there and play with those blocks. The other kids who were acting through Batman and Dora the Explorer, they were now acting through their identity. They were acting through the identity of someone that they revered. And so they brought those traits to that. Batman doesn't quit. 
he finds a way. Dora the Explorer always finds the way. Fascinating stuff. So be able to use this with our kids is super powerful. So like I said before, human beings always act through whatever they associate themselves with. Your identity shapes your reality. So I had some more videos I was going to show, but I'm getting close to running out of time. And so I want to um, just wrap up with this final bit, which is that identifying your totem. Like I talked about with the bracelet, the trigger and the totem. What's that thing that can represent your alter ego? This is an example of this. In clothed cognition, what I just talked about is that we have this psychological phenomenon of when we see someone come into a room or when we put on something, we enclose ourselves in the cognitive traits and abilities of that device. Okay? So when you put on a pair of glasses, scientifically proven, you will actually increase your IQ by 10 points. <laughs> Studies just came out about this. Putting on your glasses, wearing glasses increases IQ by 10 to 15 points. Crazy. King's College here in the UK now gives out an alter ego effect book to every single student at the college. And I told them they should probably start an eyewear company as well because they could make some money on the side. Um, and I only found out about that because of Twitter. So what's that trigger that I told them? I use the bracelet. I use glasses. So many people use other devices. Rings, bracelets. Could be wearing some Superman socks with a little cape on it. You never know. Come on. Superman socks, guys. <laughs> so how to find your totem quickly. Things you wear, things you carry with you, or things that are on the field of play. Bo Jackson, Jason lived on the field. He lived in the field. So he made a very deliberate heel-to-toe motion, and that's when Jason would enter through the balls of his feet. And that's when the transition would happen. Performers on Broadway stages, that's where their character might live, is out there. And they'll activate it when they go out. Activate, activate, activate. How can I activate this? When I walk through the door, how can I be super dad? I want to activate it with that bracelet. When I write, because I'm dyslexic, I have a Darth Vader working mask. This is the fake mask. I have a working Darth Vader mask that I'll wear at home. One of the key things I want you to take away, be playful, guys. Be playful. We're very serious about ourselves. And if there is a back door, the golden key to the zone and flow state for human beings, playfulness is the final key that unlocks it. I really do feel, after the work that I've done with so many people, that there is a child inside of every single one of us that got hurt at some point in time, that started to build stories and narratives about who they think that they thought that they were, which then has shaped so much of how we show up today, that maybe a way of looking at this is honoring that little kid inside and, and bringing that playfulness back out. But I've actually kind of flipped it. I actually think that there's a child inside of everybody that's rooting for the you today. For you to show up in a more powerful way. And that little you that didn't have all of this other narrative around how you should be around other people, they just showed up and they played. And so when I, I think about this, I think when it all comes together, it just might look like this. My daughter, Molly, was in kindergarten last year. She goes to school in New York City, and she was uh, getting bullied by a couple of boys. Um, and they were telling her, you know, classic narrative stuff, like, you're a girl, you can't run as fast as us. You're not as strong as us, all this kind of stuff. And so we have a very sp- particular bedtime routine that if you want, you can ask me about it later because it's a great bedroom t- bedtime routine. 
And she would, um, uh, I, I was laying down with her on like the second night that I saw her kind of mood shift. And I said, Molly, what's going on at school? Who said something to you? And she's like, how did you know? Like, I just know human beings, right? Like that's typically <laughs> the source of most of our traumas is other people. So I was like, ah, oh, daddies just know this stuff. And she's like, oh, these little boys are telling me that I'm not fast and I'm not, you know, good at sports and all this. And, uh, and she had an upcoming field meet where they were going to be doing some running races and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I said, well, when you go and run your races um, on Tuesday, who's really fast that you love? And she loves Paw Patrol. Anyone who's a parent of young kids knows Paw Patrol. She loves Chase on Paw Patrol. And she's like, Chase. And I said, okay, I'm going to get you a special thing to wear so that you and Chase can go run that race, okay? So, this was the video that she sent me right after. So how'd your race go? Good. Good? Yeah. What did she you was super fast. Yeah. You, why were you so super fast? I was Chase. You were Chase? Chase. Chase from what? Mighty Chase. Oh, you were Mighty Chase. Wow. So, just a quick look. So, she won the race. She beat the boys and all that. And so, that inspired me to now write a children's book. And Chris, I know I'm over just a few minutes, but if you could just bear with me just a second here, buddy. Um, so I've got a children's book that's coming out. And because I truly feel, I just know this, I mean, working with such top-level people, everyone resonates with some sort of kid inside. We're all trying to kind of hack away back through all the layers of guilt and shame that's built onto us to try to find that like, little spirit that we maybe had early on. And so the whole process here is... Cary Grant says, I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be, and I finally became that person, or he became me, but at some point in time we met. That's one of your great Brits right there. Grew up in Bristol. I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be, and I finally became that person. He decided how he wanted to show up, and he became a Hollywood golden era, amazing actor. So we have many fields of play in life, and when you act with intention based on how you want to show up, you may just find your heroic self. So I'm going to read to you this little children's books that I have which is in honor of my little tribe there of Molly, Sophie, and Charlie. We, we must be doing something right because we've built a mermaid. She stays under the water. She can breathe. Um, <laughs> that's not child abuse. I'm not holding her down, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> All right. So the book's called My Super Me. It goes like this. Sometimes things are hard. Sometimes things are tough. Sometimes we try and we try and it's still not enough. Things are heavy, they're scary, they're new, they're old. Things are too hard, too loud, too hot, or too cold. When things are too something, too this or too that, I may get quite angry, upset, or just sad. But then I remember I'm never alone. I remember my power that's mighty and strong. A power so powerful inside me right here. A power so powerful that doesn't know fear. He laughs at the hard, he laughs at the tough, he laughs at the challenge that's thorny and rough. I gave him a name for a name gives him might. This name gives him power to fight all my fights to fight all my battles, my fears and my sads, to fight all my angries, my hurts and my bads. I summon his power, he quickly transforms, he's wind, he's force, he's Captain Storm. A storm that loves challenges, both big and small, all my fears and my toughs, he conquers them all. Forever creative, playful and strong, embracing each challenge, he shouts, bring it on. Bring it on, all you trouble, bring it on, all you fear, bring it on, you doubt, because I am right here. I summon my powers, I quickly transform, I'm the wind, I'm the force, I'm Captain Storm. For I am the brave one, I show courage galore, stepping into my power, stepping into my more. I can choose how I answer, I can choose what I feel, I can choose what I think, what I say, how I deal. 
for it's up to me what I choose to believe and know my heroic self is a part of me. With my cape and my mask, I now conquer my fear for Captain Storm was me all along, me right in here. Thanks, guys. All right, come on. Music, the moment you go, Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Youpreneur FM. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, why not head over to our official website at youpreneur.com to access all our tools and resources essential to building, marketing, and monetizing a future-proof business based around your expertise. We'll see you next time.